0: Would you open God's precious holy word to John chapter 13 How our Lord Christ is reclining at the table with his in the upper room with his disciples. It is Thursday night before his crucifixion the next morning. Scant hours are left. How will Christ treat this last Passover? Literally, there there have been Passovers since then, but this was the last Passover. Christ would be offered as the Lamb of God. The focus here in John's account is primarily on two disciples. Judas and Simon Peter in this passage that we're looking at today. This is Christ's farewell address to his disciples. His discourse will continue. We're going, God willing, we'll complete John 13 here. Next time it goes into John 14 and his farewell continues Let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. I go and prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come again and receive you to myself. So that where I am, there you may be also. It's a beautiful farewell addressed to his disciples. And it starts here in this text, not just yet. So let's look at this. Christ, of course, is talking about a traitor among the group. John 13 begins about two lines in with the beautiful declaration that Christ, having loved his own, Loves us to the end, loves them to the end. The foundation of the whole thing is the love of Christ for his true disciples. There is a contrast. Christ makes that contrast himself here in this passage. I do not speak about all of you. You're not all bad. You're not all counterfeits. One of you is, but not all of you. I love this. I know whom I chose. We talk a lot about that. The eternal covenant between the father and the son. The elect being the gift of the father from the son. And the son accepting the gift as the only begotten son. Even to the death on the cross that we might existing in the fallen race of Adam, be redeemed by our savior. He would redeem his own. Again, Christ declares the sovereign grace of God. I know whom I chose. Now this is a fragile group of guys They are concerned about the conspiracy that has been formed against Jesus. The very powerful leadership of Judaism, of the Jews, unlikely allies, Herodians, Sadducees, Pharisees, all these scribes, they all have come together agreeing together that Christ, that Jesus of Nazareth, must be killed. He must be put to death. So they have been careful along with Christ. As a matter of fact, Christ, a little earlier, you remember, withdrew up to Ephraim. He went to another place a few miles outside of Jerusalem, awaiting the time when he would go in his Passover and then be offered. On the cross, these guys would be filled with doubt sometimes in the hours to come, fear, fragile in the presence of one another because everything. Seems different here. I know whom I chose, but that the scripture might be fulfilled. By the next morning, in humiliation and horrific pain, The Christ will be hanging on the cross. These men have invested everything into the ministry of Jesus of Nazareth. They have declared within themselves, all but one, that he is the Christ, the Son of God. They have declared his deity. They have acknowledged to Christ and publicly that Jesus of Nazareth is physically and in the flesh incarnate the presence of God. He's God. And of course, he demonstrated his power. In the will of the Father, by the power of the Holy Spirit, Jesus would execute all that he did To make the case, to confirm his message, and that he would be the Savior. So Christ essentially here is saying to these 12, I do not want you to think that I am the victim of anyone here. I am not the victim. I am in charge. I know exactly what's going on. What is happening and what will happen is no mistake. It is not the power of others that will have overwhelmed me. I don't want you to think that. I know whom I have chosen, but that the scripture may be fulfilled. In other words, every scripture must be fulfilled, and he is the only one who can fulfill those messianic prophecies. Only Christ. And so he quotes Psalm 41. The one eating my bread lifted up his heel against me. So Christ continues. From this time I am telling you before it comes to pass. So that you should believe. When it comes to pass. That I am he. I don't want you to be shaken by what you're going to see. I don't want you to. Be afraid or be filled with doubt. And I don't want you to think that I have suffered a loss. I'm in control. That's what Christ is saying. The scriptures will be fulfilled. And there was this scripture of a traitor who would betray the Christ of God, one seated at the table eating like the others were eating. I'm telling you this before it happens so that when it happens, you will believe that I'm he. I know the scriptures. He's the author and finisher of our faith. He authored the scriptures, delivers the scriptures, fulfills fulfills the scriptures. And in the course of time, In the whole context of the events that will happen into the time of his resurrection, Christ says, so that you should believe when it comes to pass that I am he. There are 12 of them. There is about to be visibly, demonstrably, a monumental failure on behalf of one of the 12. They don't know this yet. What happens to the rest of us when one of us is proven to be counterfeit? Sins grievously and brings apparently brings shame to the very gospel which we preach. What happens? Listen. Truly, truly, I say to you, the one receiving any I shall send receives me. The one now receiving me receives the one having sent me. So Jesus says to those who are the 11 who will remain, your commission will stand. Our group will be shaken, but I'm in control. John chapter six, verse 70. We saw it. We've already studied it. Jesus said, I've chosen you 12 and one of you is a devil. Why did Judas do what he did? Because he's a devil. And in the Greek text, the verb is estin and it's in the present active. That means it's always. That doesn't mean that Judas was saved and then lost. No, he was always a devil, an adversary of Christ. What about the other 11? How shocking there are 12 and one appears to have fallen. One of the 12, a traitor. What then about the others? The commission stands. The Southern Baptist Convention has gone through an interesting convention this year. the word interesting is always used by people who have tongue in cheek. In other words, an old Arab curse is, may your children live in interesting times. These are interesting times for the Southern Baptist Convention. I'm not in the wheelhouse of things, and I just have to read it after it's all been reported or whatever, but apparently... out of more than 16 million baptists southern baptists and of how many churches 40 something thousand i used to know i don't know out of all of the vast work out of all of the staff members the preachers and the the support staff and the ministers and so forth and so on missionaries and The the tremendous, tremendous work that goes out from the Southern Baptist Convention. Apparently, twenty or thirty years ago, when she was a teenager, a woman was abused by a preacher. That's terrible. It's unthinkable. It's unspeakable. Here's what should happen. We are we're autonomous churches. We don't have a hierarchy. We don't owe anybody anything except to the Lord through who we are as a local church. That's it. When a problem like that arises, it is expected biblically that the local church takes care of it. Disciplines. Makes the appropriate reports. Whatever. But I don't know, 20, 30 years after the fact, as I understand it, this woman comes forward, and then others come forward, and other youth pastors and pastors and all that apparently have been inappropriate at some point in time. And the whole Southern Baptist Convention comes under condemnation because of this, when really it's a local church problem. It's just, if something like that happens here, the church will need to deal biblically with the problem. And the New Testament has the rules with which to follow and we are shaken what happens oh no the pastor has fallen from his lofty position the staff member of the ministry's fallen from his position what about the rest of us the commission still stands we are shaken We're hurt. But that doesn't stop, negate, or diminish the commission that is upon all of us. This is what Christ is saying. Because they don't know what's going to happen just yet. They don't know about the traitor just yet. Christ prefaces all of that by strengthening them. Christ knows he's in control. And he says, look, the one receiving anyone whom I shall send receives me. And the one now receiving me receives the one having sent me. That's the father. Let's put it this way under the commission of Christ which is incumbent upon every believer regardless of our frailties we used to have a thing in my first pastorate we called it shy man's visitation (laughs) we had this big brochure about the church had plan of salvation and all this kind of stuff and this was about the only way that I could get about 90% of the church to visit. Pull quickly up into the driveway. Open your car door. Run as fast as you can. Put the brochure behind the screen door. And don't close the door of your car so that you can run and jump back in the car and leave before anybody comes to the door. That was Shy Man's visitation. <laughs> Y'all <Yeah, I> know. <laughs> You got to get them where you can get them, right? You have to fight the battle with the warriors God gave you. And it was, you know, these visitation programs, you have to retool them all along. You can't just keep going. But here's the deal. We all have our frailties. We have our Shortcomings, and we can't all do it the same way but we are all under the same commission and regardless of frailties within ourselves or regardless of failures of those around us, the commission is never diminished in our lives. It stays the same and we have to understand this still and always until we are caught up and caught away. It is always this. If we go in Jesus' name, And they receive us, they're receiving Christ. They're receiving the Father. And listen, when we come, God comes. That's a powerful statement that Jesus makes. They're about to be shaken. One of us is going to fall, apparently. But listen to me, your commission will stand. There are going to be failures. There are going to be counterfeits. It's interesting to me that the book that leads into the Revelation, which carries us through to the end of the age of the church and into the tribulation, and then from there into the new heaven and new earth, it's interesting that the doorway to the Revelation is the book of Jude, which is nothing more than a tremendous warning Of counterfeit Christians and false teachers. The church has been plagued with it the whole time. People who are not really real in Christ. But they were a a devil from the beginning. I have my own checklist and I'll see how far off I was when the Lord comes. No, I don't. The commission stands. Regardless of what may seem to shake up the situation, the commission stands. And it still will always be that when you go in my name, I am with you. God is with you. The Father is with you. To receive you is to receive me and to receive the one who has sent me. So Christ prepares them. Having said these things, Jesus was troubled in spirit. He testified and said, truly, truly, I say to you, that one of you will betray me. Errathe was troubled. Stirred. in His spirit. This is God who in John 1 created everything, and who in verse 14 of John 1 became flesh. this is him. He became a man. And the God man, Jesus Christ, there, In the time space continuum with his little assembly of disciples who will turn the world upside down. Knows Judas. And he was a devil from the beginning. He knew it. Because Christ himself will set into motion his own death. Judas is a big part of it. Nothing, not one single detail escapes the sovereign purpose of God. Not one. Troubled, stirred. We saw that word earlier when he raised, as he was, as he raised Lazarus, when he wept. Before calling Lazarus, for he was troubled. To again physically, visibly look at the curse of Adam in physical death, and the weeping, the crying, and the grave, and the decomposition of the body, a beloved friend, and to know that this enters into every family's household that it has swept across the human race since the beginning of the the race itself and will continue until the end of it, troubled God himself. You remember I told you he asked Eve, Woman, what have you done? Now, troubled, because sitting at the table with him, Jesus Christ knew that one of these 12... Who had been with him for these three years was about to go out into an eternal night to enter the place of eternal regret, weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth, knowing that eternal damnation rested on the head of Judas seated at the table with Christ. Troubled in his spirit, he has to make the announcement. Truly, truly, Amen, Amen. I say to you that one of you will betray me a traitor the disciples began to look at one another being uncertain of whom he was speaking self distrust well there's nothing wrong with self examination this is really kind of healthy really Because Matthew says they ask the question one by one, Lord, is it me? Is it me? If you have to ask the question, it's not you. One of the disciples was reclining in the bosom of Jesus. That's John, who writes this gospel, whom Jesus loved. So Simon Peter motioned to him to ask about whom it is he's speaking Thus having leaned on the breast of Jesus, he said to him, Lord, who is it? So Peter, you know, look. Who painted the Last Supper? Da Vinci? Was it Leonardo da Vinci? Okay. So we all have this picture of everybody on the same side of the table, right? Like like da Vinci is saying, okay, guys, everybody on that side of the table. And when you look at it, it's kind of crowded on one side. But it wasn't this way. They didn't have. They, they were, they were on the floor, raised up a little bit where the food was served. But they were sort of in a semicircle. And they were reclining. They were laying over. John, who was the youngest, he probably was a teenager. He was. He was. Jesus was his cousin, and he was really close. He was just wanting to be close. He loved Jesus. So Peter's about. He's over there on this side. Peter said. So he said, Lord, who is it? And immediately only two of them are going to know who it is. Then Jesus answered, it is he to whom I will dip the morsel and will give him. Now a morsel is, would, would be figs and dates and raisins ground up together, made into a paste, cut into pieces, And you'd take your little sticky piece and then you'd stick it in the dip, whatever the dip might be. And you would eat it. It is he whom I will dip the morsel and will give him. Then having dipped the morsel, he took it and gave it to Judas. Son of Simon Iscariot. And after the morsel, then Satan Entered into him. Hell arrived on the scene. He couldn't enter into anybody else, only the one who was a devil from the beginning. Then Satan entered into him. Now, in the presence of Christ. And those whom he loves, his disciples, the beloved, those whom he has chosen, those who are his own, Satan is not welcome and he knows he cannot stay. So the Lord of heaven then said, therefore Jesus said to him, what you do, do quickly. That's an imperative in the Greek. That means it's a command." Jesus is saying go I know what you're going to do go do it now get out of here you're no longer welcome at this table he dismisses Judas and Satan who was in Judas Judas now has no place at all here by the command of Christ what you do do quickly. No one knew of those reclining what he spoke to him. For some were thinking, since Judas had the money bag that Jesus was saying to him, buy what things we have need of for the feast, or that he should give something to the poor. Therefore, having received the morsel, he, Jesus, I mean, sorry, Judas, by the command of Jesus, Judas, went out immediately. Now it was night. The Holy Spirit says, Judas exited into night. He won't be alive the next day, Judas. This is it. He's come to the end of his life. No wonder Christ is troubled. At the great white throne, some infinitely glorious and ominous day. In the second resurrection, the resurrection unto damnation, there will be many there who will have served as counterfeit Christians. And when they died, they went into the night. Never to know the day again. The place to which they are consigned is called the Outer darkness. No light at all. Blindness. Horror. Forever. Now it was night. There's nothing worse than to think of someone who exits into eternal darkness. Nothing. Well, When he had gone out, it's almost like Jesus was relieved. Therefore, when he had gone out, Jesus said, Now has the Son of Man been glorified. And God has been glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and will glorify him immediately. The Son of God here is glorified As being the only begotten son of God. My heavenly home. My eternal life. The eternal blessings of heaven. The grand reunion of friends and family and saints of God. And angels, the unfallen ones, await me because the Son of God was glorified on the cross. Absolutely righteous and sinless. No one else could bear my sin, not another. Holy and blameless and spotless the Lamb of God and He is glorified. We preach Christ and Him crucified. We highly lift up the cross because on that cross Christ paid for my redemption and delivered me from my sinful condition and the penalty that otherwise would have rested on me. He's glorified in that. But God himself is glorified. God, the Godhead, the great God. God, the Father, glorified in Christ. Because now, you remember that eternal covenant? Not one will be lost. Not a one. Christ said in John 6, all, the, all that the Father gives to me will come to me. And of all who come to me, I will never, ever cast him out. Not ever. This is the will of the one who sent me, that of all he has given me, I will not lose one. But raise him up at the last day. Now it's about to happen. The devil was kicked out of the room. Christ now speaks to his own. In a spiritual sense, I'm at this table. Now, the Son of Man has been glorified. And God is glorified in him and will glorify also himself in him. Atonement, Lamb of God, sacrificial death, vicarious death, redemption. Justification, glorification, resurrection, ascension, exaltation, coronation. He's glorified. He will will pray in John 17, Father, restore to me the glory that I had. With you from before the world ever was. The Son is glorified, and God is glorified in Him, the Father is glorified in Him, and the glory of God at that point in time reaches its apex by the sacrificial, substitutionary death of Christ. And it was all by his plan, his design. He was in charge. So he has initiated the very events that will lead him to his death. And he's glorified. Today we honor him and glorify him because we know we live forever in Christ. We're not perfect, but he died to save us and he lives to keep us. He's a great high priest for us and he comes again for us eternal life that was granted to us in him before the foundation of the world and we will spend eternity letting him lovingly explain that to us and we'll glorify him immediately. Now Christ introduces a new term for his people, little children. Little children, I'm with you yet a little while. You will seek me And I said to the Jews, where I go, you are not able to come. I also say to you now, a new commandment I give to you, that you should love one another. As I have loved you, so also you should love one another. Now, Judas is not there anymore. He's gone. So who's to do the loving of one another? Those who are Christ's. Now we don't know who they are and we reach out evangelistically and through missionary efforts and we do everything that we can do to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when it goes over the internet, I don't know where it's going. But God can command it to go as he wills it to go. And so our obligation is this commission that calls for us to go everywhere to everybody. And to the glory of God, he will save those whom he will save. That's God's business. That's not my business. And so this church, for example, that we might teach the Bible and preach the gospel and disciple believers all of it, all everything based and founded on the precious holy word of God at Shiloh. We do all of these things, we buy material, we pay prices to go everywhere, I don't know what that stuff called, but we go everywhere. As much as we can, we do it prayerfully and fearfully before the Lord. We study the Bible, we, we do everything we do. We, we want to make it right and make it true and do what it says and preach it and teach it just like it says. We don't want to assert ourselves into it at all. We want to be obedient. And everything that we do, we do for the love of the brethren. And sometimes we don't even know who they are. God does. And when one of us hurts, we all hurt. When one of us has a need, we all have a need. And we love one another. This is how the world knows that we are the disciples of Christ because we love one another we love his own and this whole thing is based on the love of Christ having loved his own he loved them to the end that's how this whole thing starts as i have loved you so also you should love one another by this all will know that you are my disciples If you have love among one another. The world can mistreat Christianity. And it is not our calling to assert revenge. And the world knows that. Because the basis of Christianity is the love of Christ. There are other religions who will kill you if you don't become what they are. They will threaten and intimidate and all this kind of stuff. And so nobody bothers them, right? They'll kill us. They'll lop our heads off. They don't do that to Christians. You know why? Because the basis and the thrust of the whole thing is the love of Christ. And we cannot help but know, we, we know that somewhere out there are other brethren who haven't come yet that God will call as he sees fit. And we already love them, even though we don't know who they are. This is our great command, our great call. Love one another as I have loved you. And this is how the world will know who you are. And then here's this other guy, Simon Peter. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where will you go? i <laughs> Jesus answered him, where I go, you are not able now to follow me. However, you will follow afterward. (laughs) Peter said to him, Lord, see, some people just can't handle that. We can't do what the Lord does. Lord, why am I not able to follow you? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, I love this. Well, not to love it, but I love it anyway. You're going to lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow until you will deny me three times. Christ and only Christ, the only begotten Son of God, can walk the path that leads to the cross And to the sacrifice of crucifixion. Only Christ is the Lamb of God. Nobody else can do that. There's nothing I can add to that. Only Christ. You can't follow me. You're not able to do what I'm going to do. The only begotten Son of God. Is the one who has come. To do this work. And he puts Peter. In his place. Let's stop there you bow your heads and close your eyes? Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he came into this world to save sinners. Only God can reveal to you your need for Christ. I can preach to you. I can tell you the old, old story, but only God can call you to Christ. And when he does, you'll know it. You will know it. If you would come to Christ today, we have deacons and their wives waiting in the room just across the hall as you exit. Ready to pray for you, pray with you. Maybe you're here and God is leading you as a Christian into this fellowship. They're there to pray with you and to discuss that with you. We'll take care of all the details if God wants you to come and be a part of the Shiloh family. So as God leads you, you respond, would you, according to the will of God. Right now, let's all stand together and be dismissed in prayer.